When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So in order to be that leader and to be authentic, you have to do your own personal work. There's no way to, otherwise it's counterfeit. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome. So glad that you're with us today. This is going to be a fantastic episode. I know already, uh, having uh, met and talked with our guest, but just to get you warmed up a little bit, as you're thinking about your leadership, if you ever thought maybe that your own thoughts are interfering with your career, sabotaging your business, or or getting in the way and undermining your leadership skills, well, first, you're in good company, because I have definitely been there, and that's why I'm excited for our guest today. But if you've been there, today you're going to discover a five-step system that world-class athletes, performers, politicians use for their ultimate confidence to achieve massive breakthrough results and break through some of their own limiting mindsets. All of that is going to come to us today from our guest. Her name is Tina Greenbaum. She's the founder and CEO of Mastery Under Pressure, which is a management coaching program for high-performing executives uh, and senior-level managers, CEOs, that get the additional professional and personal tools to not only excel, but to empower their teams and their associates. Tina's a licensed psychotherapist, a professional sports psychology consultant, and she's long understood that just because you're good at your profession doesn't mean you're good at your job. Her ability to give high-performing execs and business owners the skills they need to work within any corporate culture has made Tina California's number one optimal performance specialist. And all that is pretty cool, but this is my favorite accolade for Tina. She's been referred to as the high performance mom because she uses all these things we're gonna learn and and does them with her own kids too. And so she says, hey, listen, she can be the sweet and nurturing mom, but she can also help you whip your mind into shape, which is why I'm excited to welcome you, Tina. Welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Oh, thank you, David. That's a fun introduction. (laughs) Well, hey, it's even better because it's true. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) All right. Well, Tina, I'm I'm looking forward to getting into your book today talking about mastery under pressure. Got to love this subtitle. All that stands between you and your goals is you. And so we'll find out more about that. But before we get into the book, I would like to invite you to share with us if you could take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. It's a very funny question, David, because I remember being in a conference one time of, and it was about compassionate leadership. And the leader asked us, how old were you when you started to take care of people? And we all went, you can't see me if you're not seeing the visual, but about yay big. <laughs> and that's just always been my role. When I was in college, my friends used to call me mother. And I said, I'm not your mother, I'm your friend. And I had a really great mother who was very easy to talk to and very, very wise. And I learned a lot from her. And it's just been a natural evolution of who I am. Mm, Beautiful. So it goes back for you for a very 
young age and that recognition that you were caring for people and caring about and helping other people. And not only that, David, I think one of the things that's really true about leaders, and this has been given, you know, said to me, we see things, we see things before a lot of times other people see them. And I always thought that common sense was just common sense. People would say to me all the time, it's like, how do you know that? It's like, I don't know. How do you not know it? It's like right in front of you. (laughs) So I never knew it was a gift, honestly, until I was in my late thirties or mid thirties, something like that. Uh, So yeah, it's just one of those things, the way we're wired. Yeah. That those facets of human nature are so fascinating, aren't they? The things that we take for granted that, and, you know, and even as leaders, there are so many different aspects and facets of leadership that I might take for granted. And you would say, wow, no, I hadn't thought about that. And, and then, like you said, how can you not see that? <laughs> it's fascinating. All right. Well, with that foundation, obviously you've had, a, a, you know, a, a, an opportunity throughout your life studying performance and what got you in. And I love, I want you to share with the listeners uh, about what got you into this because some of the challenges that you saw with some of the patients that you were working with and and taking them to the cafeteria. I I don't want to, you tell us. (laughs) So I started out a beginning therapist working on an eating disorders unit in Washington at the Washington hospital center in, in Washington, DC. And it was the first unit of its kind in the country. So nobody knew how to treat very, very ill, actually women, young women, anorexia, bulimia, and then they brought on compulsive overeaters. And so they gave us a manual It said alcoholism, crossed it out, put eating disorders and said, go. (laughs) Well, I know I'm good company here. We we like to be successful. And I was so not being successful. (laughs) And I said, I used to say to these young women, I hear you, but I don't feel you. And somehow intuitively, I knew that if I didn't get to their heart, if I didn't get below the neck somehow or other, they were not going to change because they were just talking heads. They could tell me about their mother, their father, their sister, their brother, but we weren't getting anywhere. So my first clue was at a yoga class. And I got into that deep, deep state of relaxation. And I said, wow, if I could only get those young women to do this, then maybe they wouldn't need their eating disorder because all addictions in my experience, are anxiety-based. And they're always about feelings that we don't want to feel. So we go for a substance, we go for alcohol, drugs, anything, so that we don't have to experience those things that we're trying to avoid. But with the deep relaxation, we get into an altered state, literally, and the breath is the only voluntary mechanism that we have that can change our nervous system. And so I got really fascinated with that. And I started studying with all kinds of people, spiritual teachers who, uh, who actually, the, my first teacher had a book called Yoga and Therapy. And I said, wow, that's like right up my alley. And I started to study with him and yoga psychology and a lot of the mind body things. And, and that to me became the key because I was always looking for ways to get under the conscious mind. And this is where we kind of get stuck, I think. Um, a lot of people get stuck. We think, and the, and the smarter you are, the more you think. And a lot of the emotional issues and the things that require a level of change, the, our thoughts are important, and we can talk about that, but it's also really important to be able to change how we're experiencing ourselves. And so that's below the neck. 
And so if you're listening and thinking about, okay, well, where can I work with this? What's this going to do for me? I would invite you to think about, as Tina is describing how she got started here with, with you know, mastery under pressure and performance psychology, where are the places as a leader that you know you want to do something differently? You know you want to maybe lead in a different way or manage or or there's a way you could be more focused or more organized or, or or whatever that might be, but you've struggled to do it. Everything Tina is about to share with you is some of the journey to get there. And so that's the application for you today. So Tina, as, as you got into this, I know that you started with that discovery of some of what yoga had to offer and then maybe like some of the buddhist practices meditation mindfulness and then you went to to western psychology and the psychotherapy like you brought all of these different elements together like at the fifty thousand foot level what are we really talking about when we talk about helping ourselves to change and and you know when you talk about the subtitle of your book the only thing standing in your way is you what are we talking about here well, we all have blind spots and we, again, I always say that everybody else knows them. Wouldn't you want to know them too? <laughs> because other people can see things that we don't see. And so in my experience, I, I'm sort of the guinea pig. I would sit against across somebody and I'd say, God, if I only knew how to do X, Y, Z, and I didn't even know what it was, but I knew that there was something that I was trying to get to that I didn't have the tools yet to do. And then um, as would have it, you know, I would be sitting there and, and uh, I walk past a bookstore and there was a book or I kind of turn over a magazine and there was the next training and there was the next training. So it's always about how do I get, when I call under the conscious mind, it means how do I get to the part of myself that is not so obvious? And that's why so many people struggle with the how to because we don't know how to find the answers. We don't know the path. And most people who are in great leadership positions are not necessarily students of psychology. They're students of what they do. Right. And so I have, a, I have a, a young man that I'm working with who is a CTO of a cybersecurity company. And he said, I love my Tina time. And I said, well, what is that for you? And he said, I don't need the technology piece. I've got a whole team of people that can solve those problems for me. I need the human information. Absolutely, absolutely. And how do I lead people? And so I teach people how to get, how to access the, the deeper parts of themselves. Honestly, it's really through the body. And because the body holds the, the signature of the experience. So in other words, let's just say that, um, well, Tina, can I pause you right, right yeah. there? I want to get into, I want to go directly into that. But before we do, I just want to highlight something that you said, which I think is important. And I have, I, I believe this from my own leadership career, and I have maintained this, uh, in, in the work I do with leaders is that effective leaders are students of the mind. And when you're talking about leading human beings and the human element and so forth, understanding how not just your team members minds work but how your own mind works is incredibly important if you want to be effective with your influence and help people to achieve more together than they would independently which is the definition of leadership so just do want to highlight what you were saying there because you know so many times as you said 
we get into these positions because we're we're good at the technical part of our work and you know the performative part all that the people part you can't ignore your mind or their mind you gotta understand it and that's what we're talking about here okay so take us where you were starting to go like how does this change how do we create change how does this start to happen you were saying it starts with the body all right so let's just imagine that i notice that when somebody gives me feedback there's a part of me that just wants to not listen or that wants to defend myself you know i just gotta know it's that's not it it's you or it's this one it's that one have you been talking with my wife <laughs> Karen yeah, might say, I, I have occasionally done that. <laughs> As I said, I'm a student first of myself, <laughs> and then I teach what I learn. <laughs> so, yes, I definitely had that experience where when somebody would tell me something that I didn't want to hear, as I began to become more aware, I would notice that the part of me and literally my heart, and if we start to pay attention to our bodies, our bodies have armor. We don't have those, you know, we don't have the armor that we, they had, the knights had, but we have energetic armor and we build up this armor to protect ourselves. It's a wonderful saying that I got from one of my instructors, you know, all, all behavior has a positive intent. So we're always intending to protect the individual at all costs. And we will go to great extremes as we can see what's going on in our world to protect ourselves first. One of my uh, colleagues, she, she, the way that she says that, uh, Hillary Blair, she says, you know, none of us have the habit, none of us adopted the habits we have in order to suck. They're there to do something for us that may have had a positive reason at some point, but maybe now isn't. Exactly. exactly. And so it behooves us, again, as leaders, to know what those tough spots are, because I'm aware that, so the, the, every, the first thing is awareness. Now, again, mindfulness is an ancient practice. Now it's a new buzzword, but it truly means in the definition of mindfulness is being aware in the present moment without judgment. Hmm. So as soon as I get into the judgment, then I'm going down another path, <laughs> beating myself up. And why can't I, you know, I should be able to let this go. And it's no big deal or whatever else that we tell ourselves that doesn't help. So if I'm noticing without judgment, wow, somebody's saying something to me and it, I'm, I'm just really cringing. And then I go home and I may look really good on the outside to that person, but I go home and I suffer. I suffer with it maybe for a good day or two or maybe even longer. And how could I fail that, you know, and, and, and all the stories that, again, we begin to start to tell ourselves. And so many different forms that suffering can take. We may stew on it and, well, how dare they? Or, or we may take it to heart in an, uh, you know, an overly painful way of, oh my goodness, I can't believe I stink so bad. You're right. So many different ways we can suffer with whatever that was. Exactly. Okay. So now I'm one step ahead because now I notice. I notice that this is a pattern because behavior comes in patterns. And many times, a lot of times people think that, oh, I don't want to go into this work and it's, I'm going to go back into my memories and back into bad experiences. And I don't want to experience that. It's not really true. I mean, we may have these experiences, but there's only a couple of them that just repeat over and over and over again. So I noticed that this is one of my vulnerabilities. All right, now I want to I wanna get beyond it. So I'm going to spend some time, and this is what I 
do with people and whether it's individuals or groups, we kind of go into the place where that, where you feel that feeling. It's the sensation of the feeling. I don't need the whole story. We just need the sensation because that's the way that your body mind has kind of accommodated itself. To, and that's what gets triggered. So maybe your hands get tight or maybe you're feeling, you know, it feels like a pit in the stomach or again, there's only so many themes, but there's an infinite variation to the themes. So if you pay attention to how your body responds to it, now you gather more information. Okay. So I noticed, let's just say that my, I feel like my heart just shuts down and I just want to cringe and I want to oh, close my arms and I want to walk away and I want to avoid the whole topic. So now I've got even more information. Well, what if I weren't going to do that? What if I were going to stay with the feeling and just notice it? And that's what I, again, what I do in a lot of my workshops is I take people through this exercise where you get an opportunity to just to notice. We're not going to change anything. I'm not going to ask you to send it away. I'm not going to ask you to breathe it away because we want that feeling to express itself. So now we can see it. It's the same thing like if you're looking, you know, you're avoiding your books or you're avoiding problems at work or you're avoiding, you, you can't do anything with it. So we want it in its, I, I want to see what I'm dealing with. And then as you do that, the body, the, the, the way that the mind works is one memory triggers another, that triggers another, that triggers another. So I may be just sitting with that feeling and I, I just might get a flash. I had a, somebody I was working with who was a, a tennis player. And she was a great player. She was a really, really good player, but she hated to compete because she hated to lose. So people would ask her all the time to join teams and to do this. And she would play, you know, recreationally. But as soon as it came that the score mattered, she wouldn't play. So we're having this conversation. She's describing this to me. And I asked her to do exactly what I just said. And I said, um, because I had an insight, I said, did you have a critical mother? And she said, what is this, therapy? You know? <laughs> I said, well, it's not really therapy. It's just a question. And then she burst into tears. Mm -hmm. My mother was so mean to me. Everything that I tried, you know, she put me down for this and she put me down for that. Just that insight, it took us three seconds, was enough for her to start to now work on the real issue. It wasn't that she hated competition. She actually loved to compete. She just hated to lose because she hated that critical place that she would, oh, you can't do this. And what are you doing out here? And you're not good enough and, and so on. And I really want to point out, David, that no matter how big somebody gets and no matter how high they get in their professions, whether they're leading two people or thousands of people, this goes on. Absolutely. <laughs> Right. It's Nobody just part of, it's part of our human experience. We all have these things. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, I get, I get birthday wishes from her yearly and, you know, Christmas wishes and, and um, she's, she's nailed it. It's so not, it doesn't go away completely, but she's got it. So what I'm hearing is that the starting place for just to recap what we've talked about so far is that is, as a leader, if you're looking at some areas where you'd like to be more effective or there's change you're wanting to make or, or you're not caring for the way you're responding, but you're not sure what to do about it. 
So the example we had is how you respond. Let's say you have a response to feedback that isn't as healthy as you would like it to be. Like, okay, to start by having the awareness that it's it's happening and just to sit with that, mm-hmm. to look at the feeling of what's underneath that. How are you actually embodying that response physically to, to stay with that, to listen to it internally, you know, not something you're doing on the street corner necessarily, but to spend some time with that emotion, with that feeling and see what, what it's telling you, what it's got to, to say. And, and then maybe, as you were saying, memory triggers memory to f- see, you know, what does it remind you of? What, where did it come from? Uh, you know, that process, what is, I guess, that last piece there, as our listeners are, are thinking about engaging in that process, do you have any suggestions of how they go about that? You gave a good, you know, a good description. The most important thing is to be compassionate. Mm. I had a book a long time ago that was on my shelf for a long time. It was called Compassion and Self-Hate. And um, those are two incredible extremes. But it's through compassion for ourselves, through compassion for the kid maybe that was bullied, or, you know, compassion for being a younger sibling or having a parent that had, you know, their own issues. And just kind of like, yeah, that was then. Yeah, I get it. I, I really feel for that kid. And I don't have to keep behaving in the same way. I may be sensitive. I'm a sensitive person. I'll always be a sensitive person. I don't like when people don't like me or, you know, are not happy with me. But it doesn't mean that I don't have, that I avoid it. It means actually I, I ask for it because then it helps me to become a better person. Yeah. You know, and part of it, I think, is, and you touched on this a, a few minutes ago, but I think that sometimes, especially like high performance driven leaders, we almost have a, and I'm speaking for myself here, and I've definitely have had part of this journey in my life is reluctance to deal with some of these negative emotions like okay if i really address the fact that i'm sad about that or i'm disappointed in myself or i feel like i let somebody down or whatever whatever that negative emotion might be that i'm avoiding i'm avoiding it because you know i'm afraid that it's going to have some kind of power that i'm not going to be able to control right and part of what you're getting at is if we can sit with some of those things for a moment with that self-compassion is it lessens the grip, it lessens the power. And like you said, it doesn't make it go away, but we realize it doesn't have the control we feared it did. And now we can start to make some different choices. Absolutely. And so a lot of my program is really based on calming down the body so the mind can be very clear. Mm -hmm. So when we go through the kinds of exercises of breathing and expanding our lungs capacity for more oxygen, we, we expand our body and our mind's tolerance for life. Now, again, if you're a great leader and you've gotten to that place, you have a high tolerance for stress because otherwise you wouldn't be in that position. However, we want to look at what the toll for stress is taking on you. And is there a better way to be able to calm down that body so that you have longevity because all illnesses or 95% of them are stress induced. 
All right, Dino, let's let's take this into some work-related situations then, because as you're talking and as I was reading the book and so forth, I definitely recognized myself and I'm recognizing myself on behalf of many of our listeners and the clients that we work with and who are in, you know, in quotes, high stress environments. And what does that look like? Let's just take some classic examples that I know many listeners can relate to where, you know, I've got two or three overlapping meetings on my calendar and I can only really be present at one of them or I can be present at none of them. And, you know, and deadlines, there's no way I'm going to make all of them that I have that I'm looking at this week. And so I'm going to have to disappoint somebody. And holy cow, I really need to do some deep thinking about that project. But how? Oh, all right. So I have just described myself on a on, when I'm not at my best in a bad week. And I know many leaders listening to our show today. So there are a number of different approaches we can take here. Some of it's focus, some of it's um, actually dealing with our stress, some of it's calming our body so that we can focus on what matters most. Help, help us out. Where do we start? So it's all of the above, David. I think one of the hardest things for people to come to terms with is we are all human and we all have the same 24 hours to work with. Just because we are in a position, you know, that has all these demands doesn't make it any different for you than it does for anybody else. So that's number one of really coming to that. I can't do it all. I just can't. What can I delegate? What can I take off my plate? What are my priorities? And at the same time, how do I want to live my life? Do I want to be on this treadmill where my schedule has me? And I don't have me. Everybody else has me. Because when that happens, everything else kind of goes down the tube. Your relationships fail. You know, your wife or your, your husband gets your spouse or partner, whatever. They're not happy with you. Your kids are not happy. You're not really helping anybody. And you're not happy with yourself either. And certainly not happy with yourself or your life. So I think it's coming. It's, it's like coming to a Jesus moment. Like, how do I want to live this life? And how do I want to handle all these things? Um, I hate it when something comes to it's like, no, I have a conflict. I have a conflict here and I have a conflict here. At some point, we have to prioritize and choose where we're going to put our energy. And the truth is that multitasking, nobody does it well. There's all kinds of funny experiments and try, you know, doing this backwards and this forwards. And um, we don't do it well. So where are you going to put your energy? Where are you going to time, put your time? But this is the most important thing. In order to be in a state of flow, where we're in that state of peak performance, it has certain requirements. Number one, it requires a lot of focus and a lot of energy. So if you're exhausted, you have undermined your ability to get into that state of why are you doing what you're doing anyway? It requires timeout. I go like this because there's times of great focus and, and great energy. And then this part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex is online. This is our thinking brain. This is our executive leadership brain. However, it has a limit, right? So if we don't take the time to recharge and allow this part of the brain to go offline, and go out and do a run or get out in nature or just take a walk around the block or even a walk around your house, wherever it is, that this part of the brain goes offline 
And when we get into gardening or any, anything where the mind is now not hyper-focused, it's open. The brain is, is kind of open and there's different neurotransmitters that, that come online when we allow that to happen. And the cool part of it is that's the part of the brain that recognizes patterns that the small brain can't do. So it's like when you're in the shower, right? Oh my God, I could do this or that, or I put this together. Or, you know, I used to go to a, a, an exercise class that had a lot of cross body movement, which was, you know, kind of working on both sides of the brain and I'd walk out and my problems would be solved. And it's like, wow, this, there's something really smart here in this. For, for me, it's hiking. I can practically write a whole new book on a hike. You know, okay. it's the same thing. Okay, because that part of your brain is free and you're giving, you know, it's called pattern recognition, the opportunity for, for your brain to work on its own that you don't have to push, right? So you go hiking and then you come back and then you work again and you can, you'll see how much more productive you're going to be. So part of increasing your ability to focus is remembering the white space, remembering the recharge moments. And we, uh, it's uh, a, a great follow-up. Just last episode, we talked to Juliet Funk uh, about a minute to think and the, the importance of white space in our days for a number of different reasons, recharging and the pattern recognition creativity are certainly two of those. So that's the start of being able to focus is recognizing it's a limited resource in our brains right. and that we have to feed it. We have to resource that ability yeah, to focus. 90 minutes at a time, right? So if you're pushing all day long, you're, you're getting diminishing returns. 90 minutes is what you have if you're an average human being. And I know none of us like to be average, but... <laughs> We're all human. So we'll call it 95 if you're exceptional. You've got, you got 90, 95. If you're like Tina, maybe you've got 95 or 100 minutes of focus time. And then you got to recharge the instrument. That's right. And so I get to a certain point of the day where I can feel, again, because I'm very aware of my own experience, that I am not Focusing. Don't ask me to do something that requires a lot of thinking and a lot of stuff at five o'clock in the afternoon. It's just not for me. Right. Uh, you know, again, different people are really great. Some people are great, you know, late at night and then they work, can work their schedules around their own time clock. But this is all about self-awareness, self-awareness over and over and over and over and over again at every aspect. And when you become a student of yourself, then everything else opens up. All right. So we're working on our ability to focus and being aware of how, how our levels of focus wane and wax throughout the day, our need to recharge when it comes to actually focusing. Mm -hmm. So for instance, I, I can go back to myself or other leaders I've worked with. There are those times where all right, I do have a multiple multitude of things. I can identify what matters most kind of in a grand sense, but all right, I have to choose something to focus on. You have any recommendations for what to focus on when you want to be efficient and productive? Uh, so what I, what, what I learned from somebody else and I, it works for me is what's the most immediate thing that I need to produce. And then I start to work. I, I, could make, I don't have it here on this paper, but I, I'll make a list. Everything that comes into my mind, everything that I need to do. And then I'll go down the list and I'll prioritize them. 
you know, what do I absolutely have to get done today? I mean, there are people that will say, you know, three major things that I need to do, to do today. For me, I might get 10 of them done if they're kind of short little things. Like sure. I have a program that I'm working on. It's called How to Be a Confident Negotiator. And I have to write the script. I have to do the videos uh, so that I can hand it off to, um, you know, the person who's going to put it together for me. And so I have a deadline for August 7th. So I'll go look at my calendar because I made the deadline. I gave myself the deadline so that it'll get done. And I'll go through my calendar and I'll block off how much time do I need, do I think I need in order to do it. And I have to put it in the time where I'm, I can do that kind of work. So it's going to be early in the day. So like I have development time at such, you know, certain different times and I'll map it out so that it'll be done by August 7th. As other things, like my birthday was last Saturday, and I have, God bless, hundreds of LinkedIn birthday wishes that if I wait too long, then now I've lost the opportunity to really thank people in a time. Connect, connect with them, sure. Right? So that's on the list today, right? Because now I'm already a couple of days behind. So I just really kind of look at what needs to be done. Who can I delegate? what to, and, and I'm, I'm realistic. It's about being real. Yep. Got to give yourself some of that compassion around here. And at let's grow leaders. We say, you know, infinite need, finite me. <laughs> so insane. mind the MIT, what MIT is most important thing. So what is it that matters most in the way that you were talking about it? The, there is also the level of immediacy and then import. One of the, the steps, though, that you said, which I think has a huge psychological value for us when we're feeling overwhelmed by a lot of different things, is just get them out of our head. Just the act of putting all those things on a piece of paper, you know, it's, it, or whatever system you use, and I don't believe there's any one system for anybody, but whatever you to get them out of your head so they're not dragging down your psyche. That's right. I, I can't forget. I can't remember. For me, at least, getting rid of all, getting it all out of my head, and I know that it's somewhere safe, allows me to give that 60 or 90 minutes of focus to whatever I, I do need to focus on. And I do that even in my meditation. If I find that my meditation is really, my mind is really scattered because I'm ungrounded. And again, you, you, we all know what that feels like. Sometimes we don't have a name for it, but it is that scattered thinking you know, too many things going on in my mind at one time, I know that I need to get that stuff out. So if it interferes with my meditation, I'll sit with a pencil and paper right next to me. And if it interrupts my meditation, I'll, I'll write it down. So now I can go back and focus again. I love that permission to meditate with pen and paper at nearby, get it out, of, get it out of your head and get back to what you're focused on. Because the definition of, of meditation that I use, it's focused concentration. Hmm. focused concentration so you could focus on a pen you could focus focus on a word you could focus on your breath you could focus on anything that gives you that laser focus and then again it has a whole thing that it does to the brain and it quiets down that you know those parts of the brain that need to be quiet for a while so we're talking with tina greenbaum here she's the author of mastery under pressure all that stands between you and your goals is you. And we're talking about high performance, the psychology of high performance, how to uh, master yourself in, in a compassionate way, learning how to uh, 
uh, address and be acknowledge some of the negative thoughts or things that are getting in your way, what to do with those. We've been talking about uh, dealing with uh, overwhelm, multiple different things, some of your stress and so forth. Um, Tina, I, I want to go to chapter seven where you talk about relaxation because I know for me, this is one of these things I have not mastered and I know you're going to give me something useful here. When there's a scenario for, for me and I know other people get these, they have their own version of this. Uh, you know, my team and I were doing some work and we dropped the ball or we didn't perform at the level we needed to, or a mistake was made or what have you. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen all the time, but boy, when it happens, it's, I get tense, <laughs> right? It's like, I can just see my whole body go and I'm no longer operating at peak performance when I'm tight and upset like that. And so you talk about the need and the ability to trigger a relaxation response almost in an instant so that you can get back into a, a, a better mode of performance. How do we go about doing that? Well, the first thing that I would ask myself in that situation, David, is um, what's in my control, what's out of my control? That's number one. So it's a thought. And once I start to recognize, because it'll come very quickly to you. You know, you're practiced at this and you'll start to notice, well, this didn't go well. This needs to be dealt with this. Okay. So I, I sort of get to the landscape. What's in my control, what's out of my control. So it's the same thing as like getting this stuff down on a piece of paper. And then your breath Okay, just, and it's, a, it's called a belly breath. It's a three-part breath. It's a yogic breath. And you begin to just sit for a moment and just use that breath. And just give yourself permission to take that moment to let the body settle. But the most important thing here is that you have to practice this breath when you're not in a crisis so that when a crisis comes along, you don't go off the rails. So I talk a lot in, in, in my book and in, in my work, it's called the window of tolerance. I didn't make it up. I actually used to call it buffer until I found out there was a term for it. <laughs> so it's called the window of tolerance. So let's just say that this is your nervous system's tolerance for stress. So as long as the situation is somewhere in here, you're pretty, you're pretty cool. You can handle it. As soon as it hits your ceiling of your nervous system's capacity, that's when we go into overwhelm. And that's when we go into the tight muscles and the sweaty palms and can't think clearly. We go into the stress response. So all the work that I do is helping people expand their tolerance that window of tolerance. So here comes a problem, it's just another problem. Whereas maybe three months ago, perhaps, okay, it would send me off the rails. So it's in the practice. Again, we're talking about high performance. If you're a high performance athlete, you wouldn't go out there and, you know, if you're a skier and you're doing a slalom thing, you wouldn't just kind of, in the day of competition, <laughs> go out there and then you hit a rail and then, oh my God, what do I do? You know, you're prepared. So, so much of peak performance is in the preparation. And that is such an important point when you're talking about leadership and some of the things that leaders are dealing with 
whether it's you know solving problems, addressing performance issues, rallying the team to a new challenge, you know whatever it is that's coming up, dealing with you know something that went wrong with the the, the crisis of the day, all of those things that effective leaders do so well, you didn't just wake up and do it that day, did you? That's right. It's that it's that practice, and that and uh, that same level of practice applies to everything that you're talking about in terms of how we quiet our mind, how we get our body into uh, out of the stress mode and into performance mode. That that takes practice. Yes, it does. And and the goal, the goal is to be that leader that everybody wants to be around, because when the shit hits the fan, okay, they don't want to see the leader off the rails. You know, I go back to the movie all the time of Apollo. I mean, what could be more stressful than having to bring people back from space alive? Absolutely. Right? And I forget his name at the, at the moment, but I, I, you know. Captain, Captain Lovell. Yeah. You know, just watching him just handle that control room. That was just the epitome in my, in my book of, of a great leader. Oh, our mission control. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, what was his name? Yeah. Uh, I have it. I had pulled it out before, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. But just going back and you can you can just look up Apollo, just the movie. Apollo 13. It's a fantastic movie. I, I use it all the time in some of our programs. For There are so many different leadership moments throughout that movie. But to your point, yes, the ability to remain calm, to remain clear-headed, to remain focused and inspire confidence in your people and in your team because you have those things. It doesn't mean that it's not stressful to you, but you have mastered the ability to lead through it. And, and in today's market, people are looking for leaders to be authentic. They're looking for them to be real. They're approachable. It's not so easy. Particularly when you are in, a, you know, used to perhaps being behind, you know, a whole bunch of layers of people that can't get to you, and and you remain hidden, but you, that doesn't work anymore. So in order to be that leader and to be authentic, you have to do your own personal work. Absolutely. It, 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 there's no, there's no way to. It, otherwise, it's counterfeit. This is, and I'm so glad that you bring that up, Tina. It's so important. You're absolutely right. That level of vulnerability and appropriate transparency uh, is absolutely vital in today's workplace and for, for leaders in particular. And boy, I mean, yes, if you're not doing the work, how are you going to, how are you going to show up that way without exercising and practicing and the, the things truth, you're talking about? The truth is, honestly, David, you can't do it alone. You can't do it in a vacuum. Because as I said, the unconscious by its nature is unconscious. And the leader who's can only show so much vulnerability to their teams has to have some place to let their hair down, you know, some place to be able to really talk about what's really going on. Yeah. And having been doing this work for so many years, I've had the privilege of really hearing the real story <laughs> behind the story. And um and you're, you're getting at chapter three in your book is that this is really hard, if not impossible work to do alone. And I, I certainly resonated with that particular approach there and the importance of having those people in your life, whether it's in a professional type of relationship, whether I've got a mastermind group that uh, for me is that where half of the time, I, I joke, it's every other session, 
uh, I'm bringing business challenges and we're working through things and getting business insights. And then the other half are, here's me <laughs> and, uh, you know, and where I am today and, you know, put me back together, you know, that kind of thing. But it, how valuable that is. And if you don't have that in your life, Tina, what are some recommendations you have in terms of where people should be looking for those kinds of relationships and opportunities so they're not doing it alone? Well, there are executive coaches, um, people like me, uh, we're around. And I would start with that. If you're looking for somebody to talk to individually, um, there are groups, there are mastermind groups. Uh, you know, we belong to C-Suite Network. There, there's a whole, you know, opportunity, a bunch of people there that can help. And th the most important thing is to acknowledge that it's valuable. Because before COVID, honestly, the, our conversation and what we're talking about, it was always important, but not urgent. Now it's important and urgent. And, you know, as a leader, I, I, I truly believe that, you know, people are going to leave. People leave managers, people yeah. leave companies. And we're, we're seeing it right, right in the middle of the right. great resignation and, and all of that. The need for leaders who are in a very healthy, strong, centered place themselves is more vital than it's ever been. So I have a wonderful program. <laughs> it's called Mastery Under Pressure. And it speaks to all the things that we're talking about today. Well, let's, we're, I have one more question for you before yeah. we're out of time, but let's, since we're on that topic, let's go there. Where do we find out about Mastery Under Pressure? Where do we connect with you? And we'll get all these links in the show notes, but, uh, and tell us also, uh, I'm assuming we can get your book, Mastery Under Pressure, wherever books are sold, but go ahead and give us all the, the yes. places to so go. Mastery Under Pressure, you can get it on my website, which is masteryunderpressure.com, or you can get it from Amazon. I have a quiz. It's called masteryunderpressure.net. And you can see where you are on these peak performance uh, scales that we're talking about. Focus, relaxation, dealing with negative self-talk, how to visualize, and dealing with fear. It's really kind of the, the curriculum. And um, so go take the test and see where you are. And if anybody wants to have a conversation with me, I am more than willing to sign up. I have it right on my on my website and, and let's talk. Fantastic. All right. We'll get those uh, in the notes, but you know where to go. Amazon or masteryunderpressure.com, masteryunderpressure.net for the quiz. All right. So the last subject I'd, I'd like to have you talk with us about, Tina, is the power of visualization. So in chapter 15, you get into, you, you talk about creating your visualizations. And this is one of those things that I got to be honest, I am not a vision board guy. So, you know, you talk about vision boards and people have those and I get it. That's not my thing. But there's so much power in positive visualization. And, you know, where I learned it was I'm not like a super athlete or anything, but watching how athletes go do go about doing it. They run their whole race in their mind before they ever run the race. It's fascinating. So how do we create powerful visualizations to as leaders to help us with our performance? So. Powerful visualizations come from using all your senses. Before I do a speech or before I do a presentation, I will always sit and imagine, let's say the room that I'm gonna be in. Imagine the energy that I want to have. Again, as a speaker, as, you know, you've gotta have more energy than, than the audience. 
I will imagine the sounds around me. I will imagine even that maybe somebody's, you know, got their phone in front of them and, and they're not paying attention and how I'm going to respond to that, how I'm going to reach out to the people. So I go through all the skills that a speaker needs to do in a performance, right? And I imagine it. I imagine it before I ever get on stage. And so the sights, the sounds, the smells, the, you know, the whole nine yards. And I watch the story. I watch the whole performance. I watch it all the way to the end where people are coming out and say, oh, Tina, that was great. And can I talk to you? And you know, the whole thing, whatever you want to put in there, you can create. Because once the brain creates it, it's done. And then we just have to go through the motions. And that's why the skier... He knows every turn, everything, they do it all in their minds ahead of time so that they, when they do it, the body's already done it. The mind's already done it. And again, there's different ways, you know, pre-performance during the, I have a picture in one of my, um, in one of my talks of LeBron James, who's sitting there while he's on the sidelines, kind of out, you know, just in, you know, just being taken out to rest and he's in a meditative state just doing that breathing, doing his thing, getting himself recentered. Every great athlete, they have rituals. If you watch basketball players, you know, and the, this one will bounce it three times, this one will do something, this one will do somebody. So whatever, wearing your socks on different, whatever, it doesn't really matter. It's what matters to you, that you actually take the time and pre-watch, pre-do and let's apply this. And I have used this personally myself when I first learned this technique. So as a leader, what do we do? Because we're not shooting baskets or skiing down a hill. But you're about to, as the example that you shared, Tina, give a presentation to your executive leadership team, perhaps, or your board. Visualize the whole thing first. You're about to have an accountability, what we call an inspire conversation with one of your team members. Absolutely. That's why we give you the tools so that you can plan that conversation and visualize it. Visualize some of the questions they're going to ask, some of the concerns that they'll have, the possibilities, the three different options of where that conversation might go. You can play it all out and imagine it in your head first so that when you get there, it's familiar. It's not this new thing that you haven't experienced. You're getting ready to, to roll out an initiative that was given to you. We talked about leading from the middle several episodes ago, mm -hmm. and you're executive leadership team has given you something or your board has given you something maybe it wasn't your first choice but you need to roll that out with your team visualize doing that first so many different applications for the process of creating a visualization to help you be successful when you get in all these different kinds of leadership moments incredibly powerful tool all right, Tina, we have covered a tremendous amount of ground today. Thank you so much for being with us. I, I want to give you the last word here as we turn off this episode and, and start getting back into our, our life. And we're thinking about, okay, yeah, I, I, want to, I want to master performance. I want to tap into some of these elements. And first, I would encourage you to get Tina's book, Master Under Pressure, because in a more thorough way than I think I've ever seen it done before, she really walks through step by step um all of these processes and we have by the way we have not even touched nearly half of them there are many more that will be helpful for you but it's very very thoroughly laid out so obviously my recommendation get the book start that journey but tina what would you say for somebody who's listening and wants to take this journey where should they begin 
I think it just, you said it so well, David, it really begins with being curious, being curious about yourself. Where am I? Where do I want to go? And we all know, you know, in sales, where's the gap between where I am and where I want to go and have a vision for yourself, you know, kind of looking at the places where, wow, if only I could, oh, if I could only do this a little bit better, if I could only let go of this a little bit more, if I only could... Whatever it is that you feel is an obstacle to your greatness, because we're building greatness here. We're building people who impact thousands and thousands of people. What do I need to do better? What do I need help with? It's being humble. You know, I have one of the, one of the, one of the men that's in my group said, he says, yeah, I'm just getting familiar with that word humility. <laughs> <laughs> he said, it's never been my strong suit. And, and he, he was a, a creative director at NBC at one point. And he said his biggest problem as a leader, because he was so confident in his own ability, he didn't want anybody messing with it. And he was always afraid when the feedback would come or, you know, if he did a little bit more investigation, then he would find his weaknesses or something. It would, it would change his genius. And what he has found actually in, in working through, you know, with me is that the genius is more than there. He's, and he's expanding and people are loving him more. And he said he was the one person that when they would see him coming down the hall for a meeting, it was like, oh, here he comes. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's leveraging that genius through others. The other thing that I have also is it's called our special corporate preview. And uh, it really kind of talks a lot of the things about why coaching. You know, this one has a coach. Why not you? And really kind of to embrace it. So if anybody writes to me at Tina at Mastery Under Pressure, I can send that to you as well. Fantastic. So get curious about yourself. I'll add in something we heard earlier. Start practicing if you're not in the practice of using those breaths to calm yourself in positive moments so that you have them when it when you need it in the overwhelm and the stress get curious breathe and be the leader you'd want your boss to be tina thank you so much appreciate your generosity and your wisdom today thanks so much david i loved it love being here this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com